Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are the Thought Hackers. With us today is a man by the name of Dr. John DeGarmo. He is a leading international expert in foster care. Dr. John is a consultant to several foster care agencies and to law firms across the nation. He is a popular international speaker and trainer on all things to do with foster care. He is the founder of the Foster Care Institute, as well as the residential group home, Never Too Late, a home for boys in foster care in Georgia. He and his family have been featured on Good Morning America, The 700 Club, and in other media. He has also been a foster parent for 14 years now and has cared for over 50 children and have adopted three from foster care. Dr. John is also the author of several books, including the highly inspirational book, Love and Mayhem, One Big Family's Uplifting Story of Fostering and Adoption, and the foster care children's book, A Different Home, A New Foster Child's Story. Dr. John, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. So looking through some of the information you sent over to us, how, how did you get started in this whole world of foster care? Oh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. It's certainly something I never planned on doing uh, and nothing I ever anticipated either. Uh, I had no, uh, I, I really had no interest in being a foster parent, to be honest with you. I had those misconceptions that society often believes that the kids are bad kids and the foster parents are a bit strange. You know, that part's true. Foster parents are a bit strange. We've got to be a little bit strange, a little bit odd to do what we do. It is not a normal lifestyle. Um, but I became a foster parent simply because uh, after the death of our first child, my wife and I, um, we moved back to America from Australia, and we had three healthy children at that point, and we wanted to help other kids. We just kept seeing children who are suffering uh, in the career that I was at at the time, and we wanted to um, we wanted to make a difference in these lives. You know, we had lost our first child. We had three healthy children at that point. We thought, okay, there is a, a miracle birth here. So many children who are in need. How can we help these children? So that led to fostering. That led to uh, over 50 kids who are home, and led to what I do today. So how did the, the death of your child uh, create this need for the fostering? Well, I was, uh, I was teaching in a rural high school setting in, in middle Georgia, the United States, and I was watching a lot of students coming through my own home who were, I'm sorry, coming through my own classroom who were suffering from poor academics and poor behavior and lots of school absences. And I kept asking myself, what is this? Why, why is this? What's the correlation? And then I met some of the birth parents, and I realized, yes, it starts in the home. It starts in the home. So many children, unfortunately, do not have a solid um, family unit, you know, a good, a good set of parents who are caring for them and, and keeping them safe and loving, loving them and nurturing them. And uh, so I thought, you know what, I, I had lost a child. I knew how precious uh, life, life was, and I just had a desire to help all children. How did you wind up losing the child? What happened? The child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or the skull never truly forms. And after 92 hours of labor, uh, the child or daughter was born and died instantly. 
John, could you tell us a bit about the children that that sort of do come through foster care who have been through your your house and with your family and sort of the ages of the children that that come through and what sort of condition that what sort of um, events they've been living with if they are sort of a, a bit older children and sort of what's been going on with their lives. Sure, sure. Thanks for asking. I've had a child as young as 27 hours old come into my home. I've had children as young as old as 18 years of age in my home and all ages in between. I've had up to eight, I've had up to 11 kids in my house at the same time um, with all age groups. Wow. I actually had seven in diapers uh, a few years ago. <laughs> at the same time. Uh, wow. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty wild. That was pretty crazy. Uh, and the children come into our home for a variety of reasons. Um, abuse, neglect, abandonment. I, I just had a 17-year-old boy in my home recently for about a year who was um, abandoned by his mother um, because her mother had a new boyfriend of a month. Of a month, and the boyfriend said, uh, "Make a choice, your 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 son or me." And she chose the boyfriend of a month. Good. Sorry. Um, how, how, old was, him, how old was uh, the son? Seventeen. Seventeen. Wow. Correct. That's that's. Oh my God! She was, very, she was a very unstable uh, person. She yes. had her own issues. She had her own challenges, and he had suffered a life of um, emotional neglect all of his life. Um, you know, I had a, I had a I had a, a, a four year old girl come to my house recently who had been raped by her grandfather repeatedly. Mm. Um, I had a, a child who um, whose parents were in jail for selling drugs. So you know, it's a number. It's, it's a variety of reasons. It's a number of reasons. Yes, uh, and each one is traumatic to be sure yes uh, certainly a lot of clients I work with who most of them adults um, who a lot of stories and a lot of them connect with um, they've had such abusive childhoods um, from particularly from their parents and like I said even grandparents and they were always stuck in that scenario and weren't they didn't get out of it for whatever reason when you tell me about some of these children with abuse and that sort of um, the the neglect, that if they are actually getting out of that environment, it's not a bad thing. Well, yeah, that's so true. But you know, you also hit on something very, very true as well. Uh, it is often a system, a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. Let's yes. look at the statistics of what happens to a child when they leave the foster care system in the United States. Statistically, when they age out of the system or when they leave the system. Statistically, 55% will drop out of school, 65% will end up homeless, 75% will end up in jail, and then it will just repeat itself. Two of the three children that I have adopted are third-generation foster care, which means their parents and their grandparents were also in foster care due to a number of reasons, and they never really truly healed or found hope. Um, or never really able to move past that. Yes. Um, and they just, you know, they, so it repeated itself. So yeah, sure, it's a cycle that mm. just continues for so many kids. You know, when they reach adult, adulthood, um, those uh, those anxieties stay with them. Of mm. course. Yeah. And the, and the thing that you said about the cycle, uh, from my own experience to do with uh, abuse, um, I noticed the cycle too. Like I, I could see the cycle in one sense, and then one day something happened which allowed me to see the cycle going back another generation. And when I saw it, I realized, oh, my God, you know, this is worse than I thought. But it also, one of the things that, that to do with abuse made me realize that 
one has to get help because if, right. if, if we, if let's say you or me or somebody, if we've been victimized and really hurt by it, if we don't get help, we run into the issue of potentially, um, what is it, uh, repeating the cycle again by the victim becomes an abuser and the whole thing begins again. Right, right. I often tell my foster parents that, uh, that, I, that I train that you can provide them as much stability and as much security and as much unconditional love as you can. And that's wonderful. But there are times, though, when the child simply needs professional yes. therapy, professional counseling, those services that I, as a foster parent, can't provide. And that's okay. That's all right. You know, that's just another resource for that, for that child. They need some uh, professional help. And that's, that's normal for these children. That's okay. How do you help take these children through breaking that cycle? Obviously, it's with the professional help. What, what actually gets done to help them break that cycle? Well, in my home, uh, we do provide, you know, first of all, it's important for, for people to understand that when a child is placed into a foster home, when they're placed in my home, they don't want to be there. I yep. can offer them that stability and that security, and I will love them unconditionally. I will love them like they are my own child because they're part of my family. There, there are no, there are no um, labels in my house. There's no adoptive or foster or biological. They, they become my family when they come to live with me. But at the same time, my house is not their norm. My, my values aren't their values. I'm not their mom or the dad at the end of the day. So it takes them a while to begin to trust me as their caregiver, as their foster parent. Um, so I need to provide them a place where they feel safe, a place where they feel secure, and a place where they will feel that they are loved no matter what they do. And then they can begin to heal. So that's when the healing begins, yeah. when they feel that, that someone will love them and take care of them and protect them. But that takes some time. Yes. That takes, of course, that takes some time. So when, when you get a foster child coming to you, what's the very first thing that you do? The very first thing we do is we, well, when the, the caseworker or the social worker will bring them to our home and we will greet them and then give them a tour of the home, um, show them our, our animals and our little farm, if you will, give them some chocolate chip cookies and milk. Um, and, um, and then what happens later that night usually is they will start asking these questions of myself or of my wife. These questions are, when will I go home? Hmm. When will I see my mommy next? Uh, why am I here? And then they will often cry themselves to sleep. So many children in foster care will cry themselves to sleep those first few nights uh, and week of their, of their placement because they're scared. They're terrified. They don't yes. know who I am. Yep. So I have to be very, very patient, understanding, compassionate, um, and just simply listen to them. And, and for so many kids, just hold them in my arms as they cry themselves to sleep. And that's very hard, very hard for me. Is it different with teenagers? It is. Many times the teenagers have those, well, they don't want to be in a foster home. Yep. So uh, they, there's that label placed upon them. So they will, many times they'll put walls up between them. Um, and you know, they may deny that there was anything wrong at their home. Um, because they simply don't understand, they're confused, they're upset, um, there are lots of anxiety swirling around them. And then what's so hard for them is when they have to go to school the next day to a new school, and then the school may find out that you know they, he's a foster child, so to speak, so the, the, um, the bullying may begin. Uh, it is harder for kids, it is harder for teenagers, sure, sure. Yeah, yep. Yep. so with the Foster Care Institute, tell us a bit about that and the work you do with, and you mentioned training foster parents 
Sure. So I travel the globe training foster parents, training social workers on all things foster care related, whether it is uh, trauma or anxiety or, or bullying or child sex trafficking or online safety, whatever it may be, all things regarding that. Uh, so foster parents around the globe have to have a certain amount of hours to be to remain licensed. Earlier this year, I was in Greece training foster parents, and then I was also in Canada. Um, I hope to be traveling to Australia next year, <laughs> to be quite honest, Hamish. Good. Um, and so I, I work with them and, and, you know, just I work with them and train them. Um, yeah, that's what I do. I love it. It's, it's, I, I'm driven to do it because it is a hard job. Foster yes. parenting is a, uh, is a burnout job. When you have children in your home who have suffered such emotional anxieties and traumas and you are caring for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it can be overwhelming. It can be exhausting. So the, these children that have had high levels of abuse in their family, tell us about the professional, the professional work that you get for them and, and what happens with that. For the children? Yes. Well, we take them to, uh, you know, they take them to counseling sessions. Many times we'll go for family sessions, family counseling, where my wife or I or both will attend a session with a with a trained professional counselor um, once a week or maybe sometimes twice a week or maybe okay. just the child themselves or maybe they'll or maybe they'll do it with their birth parent oh, without okay. us being yep. there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it really depends upon the situation and the child. Each case is different. Yes. Each case is different. And for some kids, um, for the younger children, they want to be there. For the older teenagers, many times they don't want to be there. I've heard so many teenagers tell me, I don't need help. Yep. I don't need help. Um, which makes it even more challenging. Yes. Mm. One of the things that you mentioned was the this high burnout to do with being a foster parent. And what I'm really curious about with all these children who have come through your home and all this experience that you've had, how do you take care of yourself if you realize that you're starting to suffer from stress regarding what you do? <laughs> you know, earlier today, I was actually just writing a chapter on my newest book about that very, very topic. And uh, I train a lot of foster parents about that. And I am not the best example of that myself, because I have a hard time. I'll be honest with you. I have a hard time saying no to a child. Yeah. When that phone call comes and there's a child in need and I hear the story of that child, the background of the child, my heart just goes out to the child and I, I want to help them. Um, you know, what many people tell me is this. They, they say, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to give the kids back. And I tell them, that's how it's supposed to be. These children need me to love them with all that I have so that when they do leave my home, it's like losing a member of my family. It's like losing my own child. So foster parents grieve. We grieve when these children um, leave. We, we experience feelings of grief and loss. Um, we can be overwhelmed with the many... Um, tasks or burdens or emotions that a foster parent has. Uh, so I have to remind myself sometimes, you know what, sometimes I need to say no to a child. Sometimes I need to say no to for my own family, my own safety. Uh, sometimes I need to take time for myself, time for my wife, time for my own children to recharge those batteries, so to speak, mm. to find that extra energy to, um, you know, to, uh, to find that, um, I, I need I need full energy. I need my wife. I need my children. I need myself um, 
ready to take care of these kids because it's demanding. So if my wife needs time off, we'll take time off. If I need time off, we'll take time off. It's, it's important for us to recognize that, you know what, we're burned out and we need to take a little break, so to speak. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so when you do take a break like that, who do you work with to step in to uh, fill in that gap, if you will? Like if, say, you and your wife both need a timeout and the children need care, what do you do in that case? Well, if we have children in our house at the time, but if we're caring for children in our house, we'll, we can have the opportunity for respite care. And respite care is when, the, when another foster parents will step in for a brief amount of time. Uh, you know, perhaps my wife and I need to go away for a weekend for ourselves. Maybe there's a wedding we have to go to or a funeral. Maybe we're going out of state for some reason. Maybe we just are exhausted or burned out. So the children can go stay at another foster parent's house for, you know, a few days. Um, and that allows us time. But I have found, though, that when a child leaves my home, when a child goes back to their birth parents or to another foster home or to an adoption or, or even ages out of the system, there are some times where I need to say, okay, family, it's time to circle our wagons, so to speak, and we're just going to take a month or two off. We're going to take some time off for ourselves. With having foster children, the outcome you're hoping for is to re reunite the children with their families? Correct. That's the end goal. That's the, in, the United States, in the United States, 50% of those children will be reunified with their birth parents. Oh, good. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. I'm, I was under the impression, that, and excuse my ignorance, but if a child would wind up in foster care, that it was because it came from an environment that was so unstable that the parents couldn't uh, give them the care that they needed. And that when they well, age out of the system, yeah, and when they age out of the system, as you say, they would be on their own. And it seems that I'm well, correct on that. Well, no, you, you do have some correct assumptions there. Oh, so 50% will go back to their birth family. Of that 50%, 50% of that will go back into care again because the birth parents simply aren't truly ready yet. Mm. Uh, there are roughly 500,000 children in the foster care system in America. 22,000 will age out every year. And you heard the statistics earlier. They're very, very grim for those kids. About 110,000 will go up for adoption every year. So um, because the parents' rights were terminated, reunification did not happen. Parents simply were not able to do what they had to do for the children to go back. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's, it's not always a happy ending for the children. Do you find that um, a lot of the foster parents in that circumstance will adopt those children? As you've adopted yourself... That's correct. We have adopted three children from foster care. We've had four failed adoptions, which means they did not work out for one reason or another, yep. uh, all very tragically. Um, uh, but it is becoming more and more popular in the United States foster care system for adoption. There are some countries that say, you know what, we're just focused mainly on the reunification process. Um, but as we know, that doesn't always happen. So for those children, when they do leave the foster care system, there's no family for them. So I feel that adoption is a wonderful blessing for all involved because I think that every child needs a family and it's never too late to have a family. It's never too late to join a family. So, so a, a question that comes to mind for me is that when the child does age out of the system, when they leave your home because of that, what other resources are in place for them? Well, 
you know, there are some resources. So, so the children should just choose to go to college, and 6% will do so, only 6%. Uh, there is something called an independent living program, which will allow these children, it will provide for these youth, these young adults, um, you know, housing and, and a, an allowance for food or maybe pay for the colleges. Some states allow the children, the youth, to stay in foster care until age 21 so they can get continued resources. Um, and then there are those, uh, organizations that are um, are designed to help youth when they do age out. But we also have to understand this, that when, a, when there's a teenager who is in foster care and has been in foster care for a number of years and has moved from home to home to home and family to family to family and school to school to school, the foster care system has failed that child and they want to leave. They want to leave. They can have those resources available for them, but they don't want it because they don't want to be labeled as a foster child. They think, you know what? This, I don't want to do this. This has failed me. I want to try on my own. And statistically, that doesn't work out well. No. I'm uh, so sorry about this. The, the, the one statistic that you threw out, which really horrified me when you said it, was the, the number of these children that when they age out, that will become homeless. I think you said 65%. Was that correct? That is correct, yes. That really horrified me when I heard that. Right, and right. It, and for so, so many of these kids, you know, can you imagine kicking a, an 18-year-old out of the house and saying, never call me again. Don't call me if you're sick. Don't call me if you have a flat tire. Don't call me yeah. uh, when it's your birthday. Don't come over here for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever it may be. There's no one there for them. And then, and as we heard earlier, 55% don't even have a high school diploma. So how are they going to get a job when they're, um, and they're also having, they're, they're dealing with their own emotions and anxieties and trauma. So it's very, very challenging for these children to have a stable lifestyle because no one has shown them any sort of stability no. or any type of living skill, social skill for that matter. So, so how would they acquire stability is there anything in place to help them or do they fall between the cracks at that point you're right when they do age out so many of them do fall between the cracks um so that is why it's so important for foster parents to teach them living skills and social skills in my home when they come to my home we will begin to teach them all those important living skills and social skills and i will work hard to make sure these kids get a high school diploma and have a career path when they leave. But what, what it's important also to understand is this, that when they come to my house or when they come to a foster parent's house, they become part of that family, and they become part of that family forever. Uh, we are in the um, – let let's go back two years at my house. Two years ago, December 23rd, two days before Christmas, my wife and I had 22 children in our home. Many of them were former foster kids who came to our house just to spend the time with us. Um, and that was wonderful. Whoa, it was exhausting. Oh my gosh, was it? It just it was something else. It was crazy. But it was wonderful because the children realized, you know what? I still have a family, even yeah. though I'm not living with the Garmos anymore. They're still my family, and they know that they can come to me. So we will continue to offer them stability and love and someone to support them I was, in the time I, of need. I was picturing Christmas at your house just before with children, some of them Man, coming back. Yep, <laughs> so, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I, that Christmas, that, that Christmas with seven kids in diapers, that was not my best Christmas day. <laughs> let me tell you. I think all we did was change that, that Christmas day. For most parents, just one one child at a time in 
what you call them diapers don't yeah diapers and we call them nappies but yeah well for one yeah, uh, yeah. one child is enough but um the work that you do at the institute you train parents to be foster parents do you also work with the parents of the children for that um for for the children to be able to move back with them is that work that you do with those parents as well you know, I do that. I do that independently of the institute. As a foster parent myself, I will try to work with the parents. It's called co-parenting here in the United States. Yep. Um, I do not do that professionally. Um, my my focus is mainly on the foster parents themselves. Yes. Because many foster parents just don't have the support they need or the resources they need. Yeah. But I train foster parents to do that very thing. How do you work with the birth parents? How do you co-parent with them? Because even if the children should not go back to their parents, those parents may have more children. So it's important that we teach them how to have better, stronger parenting skills for the next set of children that come yes. along. So the cycle does not repeat itself for those kids. Mm, wonderful. So, I'm, I'm looking at the word burnout for you. When you travel over, you travel the globe with this stuff, you, <laughs> you, you, are, you must be so busy. I, do you find time to sleep? Some... No, no. My wife and I keep telling each other, we'll sleep and we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're, I'm very fortunate. I have been able to discover the 32-hour day. That's how I get everything done. In 30, <laughs> because I, I can stretch out hours every day. Wow. That's what it only, like. only, uh, 30, it's, only 32 hours? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But no, it's, a, it's, pretty, you know, it's pretty exhausting. Yeah, sure, it's mm. exhausting. That's why foster parents get burned out. Because yeah. uh, again, yeah. it's it's not it, you know when I come I go to work to rest, and that's what many foster parents do. They go to work to rest because when yes. they come home, and you have those children who are screaming and yelling and crying, and um, oh my goodness, you know it, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. Some um, oh look, credit to you, John, and you, and your wife, and but but you know what. At the same at the same time, it is the most rewarding thing uh, that, yeah. I have ever done. I yes. have, yeah, yeah. I would I would never do anything different. I'm so glad. Again, as I said at the top of the hour, I never planned on doing it, but I can't imagine a more rewarding thing I could do. Yes. Because I'm helping children heal. I'm providing someone that I might be the only person. I might be the only parent, as a foster parent, who will ever give this child healthy, unconditional love. Yes. I have seen kids learn how to smile, learn how to laugh. I have seen children leave my home who have become successful in a career. Um, how wonderful is that? You know, mm. how, how exciting is that? Mm. Able yeah. to change lives, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Very inspirational. So, so for those people who are listening who want to learn more about what you do, how would they find you? Oh, thanks for asking. Just Google the Foster Care Institute. Go to my website, the Foster Care Institute. There's actually a page there called how to be a foster parent mm -hmm. and tells you how you know what you need to do to be a foster parent um and you'll find so much information there videos resources uh my my, my former radio program lots of articles goodness uh, lots of stuff there for for the veteran foster parent or the person who's even considering um doing it um again the hardest job the most rewarding job at the mm. same time yes and um, is this it's 
I was just going to ask Nathan with this with the foster care institute. Like I said, you travel globally to work with this. Is the foster care institute for people just in the states to contact you and work with you, or can people like such? Oh, no, 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 no. I just came back from Canada. I just came back from Canada where it was a uh, twenty degrees below Fahrenheit. I don't know what that translates in Celsius, but it was pretty darn cold there. Um, <laughs> And earlier this summer, earlier this year, I was in Greece, working over there, um, hoping to go to Ireland and Australia next year. Yeah, globally. Yeah. Okay. globally. So, if I um, was personally interested in, in becoming a foster parent, I could go through the Foster Care Institute. Absolutely right. Excellent. Absolutely right. Yes. Thank you very much for being with us. It's been very illuminating, mm. uh, very inspiring, very interesting. I had no idea about any of this. Uh, you really opened my eyes to the world of, of foster care. Certainly, Amish, I'm cer- sure, as well. The, uh, the statistics are incredible. Yes. Yeah, the statistics are uh, no, quite sad. In, in, in Australia, it's even worse. Uh, you know, Australia's foster care system is, is having a real struggle right now. Right. Amish, I'm not. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but um, really, they're really struggling with that right now in a number of issues. Um, it's something we don't. It's something we don't hear about. We don't. Look, we're all aware of oh, no. of foster parents yeah. and children being looked after as foster children, but we don't. We're not exposed to what's going on in it. Right, and I wasn't either. I wasn't either before I became a foster parent. I was ignorant of all those facts simply because. The media does not focus on, on those. Uh, these are the forgotten children. These yes. are the things that people don't want to talk about. They just ignore. We, we focus on other things uh, in society. Yes. And the media, yeah, sure, sure. The only time the media globally will focus on foster care is when there's a, a bad story that comes out. Um, yes. So we hear the bad stories. We don't hear many of the good stories. Mm. Um, so sure, sure. I, I, I know much about it either. I really didn't. I went through all the training as a foster parent. Yes. And then I recognized within the first 20 minutes of my placement that, oh, my goodness, I did not expect this. I was yep. not prepared for this. <laughs> what is going on? Sure. Yeah. Is it such a big problem, like I said, for example, Australia, is it a problem because there is not enough foster parents? That's one reason. That's one reason. Uh, they're also in Australia. Foster parents, are, they get paid a, a, a tremendous sum of money compared to so many other countries that Australia is beginning to find that um, the professional foster parent, if you will, is in it for the money and is not really in it to take care of the children. They're finding that more and more. Um, and then there's uh, the, the, the increase in children being placed in foster care and not enough foster parents also in Australia. Um, and then you have, the, uh, you have the same issue that America has and Canada has with the, um, the native Aborigine people. You know, there, there are different rules um, and regulations regarding those children as well. So, um, you know, it's the same thing all over, basically. Yeah, a major problem in Canada. I'm Canadian, um, just for, for reference, but we've had a huge problem in Canada to do with the Native children, the residential schools, right. the influence of the Catholic Church and the government, right. and the tremendous amount of psychological and emotional damage. So anyway, we've we've covered a lot of ground tonight, and uh, very very impressed by what I've learned with you and our, our time together. And, very uh, kind. Thank you. 
Are there are there other resources that uh, our listeners can tap into? Like you've you've mentioned that Foster Care Institute, but are there any other resources that you have to offer? Well, I have a number of books. Whether people are you know do you want to read what it's like to be a foster parent? I have a book called Fostering Love and the sequel Love and Mayhem, which is uh, my memoirs, if you will, a life of what a foster parent is really really like. Um, I have webinar series of, of online training webinars people can do. Of course, there is my um, video series, Foster Care 101, on my website. And, of course, I did, I did a, a radio program for a number of years as well that is, that's on there. So um, there's lots of different avenues, if you will, to learn about foster care. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, my pleasure. Th- Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, so for those of you who have been listening to us tonight, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia. We are the Thought Hackers, and with us today has been Dr. John DeGarmo. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, We've learned a lot from you being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. You've been listening to the Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.